Uh, Two witnesses so far on the first day of the impeachment inquiry. Let's talk about it. Chad Hartman with you here on CCO Playing Politics with Lopez and Rash. All right, Patricia, you first. Mm. Mr. Taylor, Mr. Kent, um, Mm. just a reminder where we're at right now. They uh, they gave opening statements. You also had opening statements from Adam Schiff and Devin Nunez. Then you had uh, we got a pot. Your 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 phone is there. We go. Um, then we had questions asked from attorneys representing both sides. And as we're talking right now, uh, we are seeing questions from Democrats and Republicans. What is your initial takeaway at this point? Then we'll get a little more specific. Uh, well, I think both of the um, uh, witnesses so far have proved pretty powerful. Uh, you're talking about not just any two witnesses, but the top uh, diplomat for the Ukraine and uh, the top State Department official who has worked for the State Department for years and years under various you know, Republican and Democratic presidents. Worked for five presidents, right. three Republicans, two yep. Democrats. Steep, you know, steeped in that area in particular, headed the anti-corruption uh, unit for um, the European countries for the State Department. And so when, you know, when they are starting to give this testimony and what I was struck by in particular was, uh, you know, one, the phone call in which an aide was overheard the president himself, okay, the president of the United States talking to a Ukraine official about the investigations and, you know, Biden and Burisma and, um, you know, insisting that all of this be made public. Mm hmm. I think that has to carry some weight. I know Republicans have put up a lot of resistance in the form of questioning the process, which, you know, kind of tells you that they don't have a lot of facts uh, on their side to go on. So far, everything has corroborated the um, testimony that was given uh, closed door that we saw. Um, I haven't seen anything that hasn't uh, corroborated one another. And that you start to build a pretty powerful case that way. John, you? reflects what I wrote in my column a couple of weeks ago, that this is not the deep state, as Republicans would like you to believe, but this is a State Department deep with professionals that transcend administrations and politics, and we're at the center of this and are describing what they call an irregular, if not a highly irregular, channel of diplomacy that had to do more with the president's political aims as opposed to the U.S. Uh, security interest in Ukraine. So I, I, th- I think it was George Kent that pointed out specifically that this kind of um, request uh, that a uh, an investigation be launched launched against a political opponent is the exactly the kind of thing that the U.S. would not tolerate in a foreign country, and yet it's happening here with our own leadership. And I don't really see how Republicans can ignore it that much longer. Well, here's another point, John, because I'm listening to a fair amount of the testimony during breaks and stuff. I'm monitoring on Twitter when we're hearing from Republicans an awful lot that twofold. One, President Trump has given more to Ukraine than President Obama. That part's true. okay. And that they also say, well, look what happened. Look what they've received. What's what's the problem? Well, guess what? It was passed at one point and it was held up. For months and months and months and months, when when Republicans and Democrats both were asking questions, Mitch McConnell himself said about a month ago he has no idea why it was held up. It's clear from these folks who were enacting the policy, which was directed to them, that there was extraordinary pressure from the president himself, Rudy Giuliani and others, that Zelensky, the new president, to step up and say, we're going to look at 2016 
and we're going to look at the Bidens, and that he pretty much had been resigned to, I'm going to go on Fareed Zakaria's show on CNN and do this, and then guess what happened? Days before, the whistleblower emerges, and all of a sudden, magically, then the money is turned over. Believes in that coincidence, I have some oceanfront property to sell them behind my house in Plymouth, Minnesota. Well, indeed, and it's not just the State Department that was deeply alarmed about this. The Department of Defense, as evident in testimony that will eventually come out in the public impeachment trial, but they had transcripts released of some Defense Department officials whom they spoke about who were wondering what's happened to this military aid. And I think what this does is it points to what's really at the heart of this issue. Ukraine is an ally. We had Congress had appropriated military aid to help them in a hot war against Russian-backed insurgents that has killed more than 13,000 Ukrainians in the eastern portion of that country. This military aid was deemed necessary. It was appropriate that President Trump pushed for this and that it eventually got there, but it certainly should not have been held up once that was decided upon. And what these diplomats are testifying to today is that it was held up for political reasons And that's not the way that the United States system is supposed to work. Well, and um, comparing how much this administration gave to how much the previous administration gave is completely irrelevant. And I I think it's worth pointing out that, uh, as I recall, the Obama administration was prevented from giving more aid by the Senate Republicans, who at that time were resisting increased military aid under a Democratic administration, in particular the release of offensive, um, what they were labeling offensive weapons. Um, So the, the real point here is that this was, as John pointed out, authorized. It was ready to go. The president did not have a credible reason. If he has a credible reason, we haven't heard it so far as to why there was a delay. We have heard a lot of reasons um, why that are um, that are inappropriate and possibly illegal. Okay, here's another one. I'll start with you, Pat, too. <clears throat> We're hearing this from Republican after Republican. This is just hearsay. This is just hearsay. Who exactly was on the phone call with President Trump and President Zelensky? The whistleblower put something out, okay? If what the whistleblower put out had unraveled, didn't show any proof, we wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. We have had behind closed doors, witness after witness after witness, back up That's right. what it's the whistleblower has mm-hmm. said. And oh, by mm-hmm. the way, even though these – then the suggestion must be that Taylor uh, and Kent and others who are enacted this policy just decided to do it on their own. For no reason, decided to do it. And oh, by the way, if you want to end the hearsay, let's hear from John Bolton. Exactly. And let's hear from Mick Mulvaney. And so we can can end the hearsay. These two people have them speak. Here's here's how they play this game. First, you prevent the people who have firsthand knowledge from speaking, right? They're supposed to blow off the subpoenas. They're supposed to blow off Congress. They're supposed to go into hiding. Uh, The boss has prohibited them from talking. That leaves you with people, you know, giving hearsay, which I I think is kind of a ridiculous way to label this anyway. We are not talking about low-level people. We are talking about people at the highest levels of our, you know, State Department and, uh, you know, diplomatic missions who are giving this. Uh, And and so, uh, you know, what they're really doing is shutting off any avenue for obtaining the kind of firsthand information that would incriminate the president even more than has been done today. So, you know, to their hearsay accusations, I would say... Let the others speak.
What's Hon- like? Honor the subpoenas. Yeah. Come before Congress. Open testimony. Let the public hear what they have to say if you don't have anything to be afraid of. So let's talk about that, John, because it appears right now the Democrats feel like for timing purposes that they are not going to go through the courts to try to force Mulvaney and Bolton to testify. Uh, testify. Again, those two don't exactly see eye to eye. At one point, Mulvaney was going to join Bolton and Bolton side business. And Bolton said, said no. Get away from me. <laughs> Are the Democrats making a mistake on that by not saying we're going to push the timeline a little bit more and see if we can win on on multiple legal victories and to force those two to testify? If it's a mistake, it's not necessarily a Democratic one. It's a congressional one. Congress is a co-equal branch of government, and part of their constitutionally sworn role is to oversee the executive branch. And the whole idea of the impeachment inquiry is to get to the truth regardless of what that is. If these two individuals and others beyond them have access to that truth and can testify to that, Congress, be it Republican or Democrat, should come forward and try to compel their testimony at this point. Now, this process may last for several weeks, if not months, and they eventually eventually may indeed come forward before this process and testify. But I think that the country deserves answers on this, especially given the gravity of the idea of removing a duly elected president of the United States. I think it's a card they have in their back pocket that mm-hmm. they can play whenever they want. Okay, so uh, let- They can go to court. They can ask for the subpoenas. They can compel the testimony. But first, you know, as with any, any investigation, you work from the outer edges in. And that's what they're doing right now. When there's nobody left but those people who have refused to testify, then you go after them. Let's pause here and come back and talk about the balance that Democrats are facing right now. What they feel like is their constitutional responsibility and commitment and also looking at the reality what most likely will not happen in the Senate and the implications on next year. We'll do that moments with Patricia Lopez and John Rash. A reminder, your Linda's construction construction time check is 148. Time to protect your home against drafty windows and doors. Uh, right back here with Patricia Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune. Uh, more news on the impeachment hearing all throughout the day, including from CBS at the top. Okay, Pat, you first. Uh, you had a number of prominent Democrats who were reluctant on pursuing impeachment for the political implications. Mm-hmm. Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff in that group. But eventually, when more and more came out on Ukraine, when there was more and more push from their colleagues, right. from the public, and also more of a push from the Democrats who were running, I think they felt like they were boxed in. They felt like they were boxed in, they had to do it, and also they, they have grave concerns about what's taking place. They also know of the potential political implications that if they find him guilty, but in the Senate, if he's found not guilty, that it potentially gives the president a boost. Potentially. How do you think this all plays out if found guilty in the House and found not guilty in the Senate? Um, You know, at the at the risk of reducing this to a political game. And obviously it's you know, it's much more important than that. But if we're just looking at the strategy of it. For the Democrats, that might be the best option. Uh, impeachment puts a permanent stain against his record. There's a black check mark there for eternity. It's the kind of thing that's mentioned in your obituary, right? Can never get away from that. Um, but it kept on in the Senate, which means they have a badly wounded um, nominee heading into the election. His base will rally around him. 
but independents are already starting to fall off. Um, you know, the impeachment hearings are already starting to take a toll. We're seeing that in polls um, already. It's, you know, his support is slipping um, in that middle. Um, his base is not enough uh, to reelect him. He has to reach out beyond that, and that becomes harder and harder. Um, could you say that there would be a backlash uh, against the Democrats? It's possible. But I think it's more likely, and I don't know really how, um, not to be overly cynical, but I'm not sure how reluctant Pelosi and Schiff were. What they wanted to do was not appear to seem overeager, right? So they have to f- seem like the sensible grown-ups in the room holding So do you back. think they wanted to do this all along? I, it, it's, I can't say. I'm okay. not in their head. But I just want to put out that out there as a possibility that whether they genuinely feel that way or not, the image they felt compelled to put out there yep. was that, you know, we're troubled by this. It's a last resort. We wish we didn't have to do it. That's a much better face than, hell yeah, let's impeach them. Yep. They, can't, they didn't want to be seen as that. John? When the history of this is written, I think one of the more influential days was when a cohort of national security Democrats in the House – people who had served either in security services or in the military, came forward. They originally weren't for impeachment during the Mueller investigation and said, regardless of the politics, this is our duty now. And this situation is so significant, so severe, potentially, especially regarding the lethality of the issue at hand in eastern Ukraine, that they said, we need to move forward with this process. And I think that that convinced Speaker Pelosi and others that this indeed was the time to to move forward. It is too early to get a sense of how this will play politically, but I think that the Democrats will at minimum be able to move forward with the message saying we upheld our constitutional duty to investigate something this serious. And it's, it's one thing what's happening to Trump. It's another thing what the fallout is to Republicans in the Senate and the House. Um, this is not a good look for them, arguing process, ignoring things that Americans know are wrong. There's no way that you can argue uh, on the on the merits that the president is allowed to ask a foreign oh, they're, country. They're doing it. Though. They're doing I agree it. With you. But but I think all but the most diehard Trump supporters are going to resist that, and and we're seeing evidence of that. They're just they're, they're crossing lines that they can't turn back on. Why do you, why do you think we're seeing record numbers of Republicans um, that are not running yep. for office again? Peter King, the latest. Mm-hmm. Thirty seconds for each one of you. Yesterday, uh, a former candidate by the name of Hillary Rodham Clinton is on the BBC. And, John, I'll start with you first. She says, you know, many, many, many people are asking me. I'm getting a lot of pressure about running. But at this point, I have no plans. Why does she keep saying it that way? Uncertain why she keeps doing that, because she knows that there's going to be a remarkable amount of speculation when she talks about this. I don't sense at all that there's a groundswell among the Democratic base to have her run again at this point. She may have indeed had individuals, and perhaps there are several who have come forward to ask there, but there is nothing that indicates that the public, the voters, those who will decide the Democratic nomination, want her to run again. And she's also out there, let's not forget, on a book tour. She wants to run. Why why does she do it? It's ego. It's vanity. You have to have a king-size ego to run for president anyway. It's hurt feelings. You know, she's she's never, I think... um, She's not over. The, well, she's not over the fact that she won by three million votes and yet she lost the presidency. And that's the kind of the, I'm a little troubled by the fact that she says she thinks about this every day. Yeah. Yeah. She lives up to the folks who say you can't get over it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Thank you. it.